right, so we have been in a sermon series for the past few weeks that we're calling Living with Vision and Hope. Living with Vision and Hope, because we've started a new year, we really want to kick this thing off well, and so Living with Vision and Hope is the sermon series we've been in, and today Sarah, our community pastor, has a great message about finding joy in some surprising places. So why don't we welcome Sarah? Hello, everybody. Happy to be here today. I, although I am sharing unexpectedly, wasn't planning on this. Um, several several years ago, John or not John Charles' dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. He's been suffering with that for quite a few years, and recently he took a turn for the worse. And then last week on Tuesday, he passed away. So uh, Charles and Caroline and the kids are in Korea right now uh, doing the funeral process and taking care of details. This coming week, uh, Caroline and the kids are going to fly back here, get in school and kind of resume life. Charles is going to stay there for just a little bit longer in Korea, making sure that everything is wrapped up. So with them away right now and the grief that they're feeling, I'd like to start our morning by just praying together. Would you pray with me? Lord, together we ask that you would be with Charles and the entire Park family as they mourn the loss of their father. I pray that in the midst of their heartbreak, they would feel your peace and your incredible love for them. I ask that this time with extended family would be healing and comforting. May your love and your grace, your care, and your comfort be poured out powerfully during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. But we're going to move forward, nonetheless, in our sermon series. Like John said, we're in week four of Living with Vision and Hope. And we're taking a look at about how we can approach this new year in a way that expands our life, that expands our sense of well-being that expands our sense of feeling blessed. You know, feeling blessed is in vogue right now. A quick look at Facebook and Twitter shows how many people are hashtag blessed. Have you noticed that? And in this social media world, saying you're blessed can be a way of boasting while trying to sound humble, right? Like college scholarship, hashtag blessed. Unexpected raise, hashtag blessed. Wonderful family, hashtag blessed. Looking really hot in my workout clothes, hashtag blessed. In fact, this mindset could set off a whole different uh, Twitter and Facebook craze, hashtag cursed. Dropped my iPhone, hashtag cursed. Baby screaming in the middle of the night and won't shut up. Hashtag cursed. I have lived that one, and it really does feel that way. In fact, I remember praying, God, please, tonight I am so tired. Just make this baby sleep longer. And before I could say amen, the unnamed baby, I will not reveal which one it is, (laughs) just would start wailing. And immediately I felt like God was cursing me in that moment by not answering my prayer. So blessing and the way we view it and cursing the way that we view it is a part of this 
old covenant mentality. And it is common to attribute our undeserved gifts as God's blessings, isn't it? But we've misused the word. The blessed life is not synonymous with a successful life. That's Old Covenant. According to the key word study Bible, the Greek word translated to blessed is this. Ta-da! Which means to be fully satisfied. It means those receiving God's favor regardless of their circumstances. It's having everything you need to be content no matter what your situation is. There's no hint of material prosperity or of perfect circumstances in the New Testament reference to being blessed. In fact, on the contrary, blessing is usually connected with poverty, with trial, and the benefit of a connection with Jesus. There is a famous passage in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, referred to as the Beatitudes, that talks about being blessed. Let's take a look. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is such a beautiful and often quoted passage of the Bible. But in real life, it feels more poetic than true. As my husband John told me this week, it feels more platitude than beatitude. Isn't that catchy? (laughs) And what I'd like to take a minute to do is go back and look at verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, We can notice in this passage that there are six beatitudes with the word will. It's something that's going to happen. And there are two beatitudes with the word is. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is there. And then at the end, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So there's something about the state of being, specifically with poverty and persecution, that God's goodness is right in the middle of. Now, that is mind-blowing because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But today I'd like to talk about this first part of the passage and what this passage can tell us about living with vision and hope and being blessed. And we're going to start by looking at how the poor could be truly blessed. 
And this got me thinking about my experiences. On Friday, John and I are taking a team of five people from the river to go work with ASHA. It's an NGO that brings about health care, financial services, and education to over 600,000 people living in the slums of Delhi. And we have a picture of our New York City team. There we are. (laughs) There's John and I um, in the middle, Rhonda, and then over on the side, Anthony and Melina. We're going to fly out all separately because we're using miles and whoever knows what, and we're going to meet the rest of our team. We have seven people that we're meeting there from our sister church in Boston, Steve Watson and his family, John and Tisha down here. Then we're meeting Grace Smeltzer from our sister church in L.A. And in the middle, I'm very excited about this, this is our daughter, Emily, and she's going to meet us there. She lives in Seattle, and she's going to be a part of the team as well. Now, it's kind of surprising when I think about it that I'm going for the fourth time to Delhi and the slums there because I had never really thought about traveling to India in the past. I had seen pictures of India and Mother Teresa, and I just thought, that just seems really intimidating. You know, when we were in our 30s, John and I would take teams of people into central Mexico, and we would take them into teeny tiny villages that spoke this ancient dialect, and to towns and big cities, and we were painting walls and mixing concrete with shovels, and most importantly, getting to know and falling in love with so many people there. And those years of our 30s were like some highlights of our entire life. And those trips were really great for a couple of reasons. And one was that John spoke Spanish, and I love eating Mexican food. <laughs> it just seemed like a really good, good deal. So years later, when this opportunity came to go and visit Delhi, um, I, I understood what this kind of trip was. And in some ways, it was appealing, and I found myself excited, but also scared. I I wasn't sure I could handle the slum conditions. I wasn't sure I could handle facing extreme poverty. These communities are some of the poorest in the world. And practically, I wasn't sure I could handle the lack of sanitation and germs that go along with this environment. I knew that would take me way, way, way out of my comfort zone because I come from a family of extreme cleanies. Extreme cleanies. I'm not going to say they have a disorder, but my grandmother, after years of scrubbing her teeth with her toothbrush so hard, had the dentist tell her, you have brushed the enamel off your teeth. My aunt, still to this day, scrubs her hair for 20 minutes every time she washes it. And I've said... Aunt Carol, oh, I should know your name. <laughs> why, I can't understand why it takes you that long. And she's like, I can't understand how you do it at any less time. <laughs> okay. Now, generation after generation, we've calmed down a little bit. My older sisters are champion cleaners now. These women have toned arms due to all of the scrubbing they've done. Now, I like to think I'm the most relaxed so far, and that's why I don't have toned arms. 
But, you know, my kids would not agree with me because we raised them. I raised them, and John agreed to, with this principle, trace free living. You can cook, you can play, you can do art, but just don't let us know what you did because you cleaned up so well. If you go and play in a room, when you leave the room, it should look like you were never there. In fact, I had so many conversations with my kids and say, I am so irritated right now, and I don't think you understand that I wouldn't be so irritated that 30 minutes after dinner, you went in the kitchen and you made this big meal, and then you, but if you had cleaned up, if you clean up the evidence, you would never have anything to get in trouble about. Now, when my kids were teenagers, they did get really good at that, and I'm not sure that was great advice, but trace-free living, our kids still talk about it to this day. So... Here I am, a person who's very clean, likes things orderly and dust-free. And so I knew this was going to be a challenging trip. And to be honest, I always prefer cozy to uncomfortable. But I knew that getting out of my comfort zone was something I really needed. So as I was working through the apprehension of our first trip, And my desire for this trip to be life and soul expanding, I had a thought come to mind. And it was, embrace as much as you can. Sarah, you're not going to understand the language. Things aren't going to make sense to you. You don't understand the culture. And that's okay. Don't fret about it. Just try to embrace as much as you're able. So in response to what I considered to be a God-inspired thought, I thought, okay, practically, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of hug at will. I'm going to try to literally embrace women and children and not look to see what's on their hands first. I'm just going to hug and try to open up myself as much as I can and hug and hug and hug. And I remember that first drive to the slum, to Jivan Nagar. My stomach was in knots. And it wasn't because I had eaten great, spicy Indian food. It was because I was really apprehensive. And I remember thinking, what the heck did I get myself into? And I remember approaching that slum, seeing it from a distance, and trying to just prepare myself for what I was about to encounter. We pulled into the Asha Community Center, which is in the very edge of the slum, and got out of the van, and we were greeted with wonderful, wonderful people. We have a picture of them. We were greeted with garlands and flower petals and singing, and dancing, and handshaking, and for me, lots and lots of hugs. And it was completely overwhelming. And it was so surprising, because we walked into a place of incredible joy. A bit later, I got to go see where some of these kids lived, and meet their families. We walked down this narrow little lane, and into the home of a college student. There she is, Priyanka. 
And I remember sitting down on the floor. I was with John, my husband, and Caroline Park. And we were sitting uh, cross-legged on the floor. We needed to sit cross-legged because there wasn't a lot of room in that home, eight by eight, that a large family shared. So there wasn't room for furniture, and there wasn't room really for anything other than a shelf oh, about this high on the wall. And that's where they would put a grocery bag with their clothes and some cups and some plates and a pot and some school supplies. And as we sat down in this room with no window and low ceiling and not a lot of light, I started feeling really claustrophobic, thinking, oh no, I can't handle this. What if I had to live here? I couldn't do this. And I just got filled with this horrible despair. And then I looked in the eyes of Brianka. I listened to her tell me her story about her family and her excitement of going to university to study Sanskrit, the ancient Indian language. She talked about how excited she was to be earning awards of excellence at the university, about how she studies because it's so noisy in the slum during the day. So she waits till very, very late at night when the slum quiets down, and she climbs up on the top of their roof, and she studies in the moonlight and how peaceful and quiet it is up there. At one point, she grabbed a book because she wanted to show us this certificate that she got from the Australian High Commission and a photo. And as she grabbed the book, down with it came a slew of cockroaches. And they fell on me and John and Caroline. <laughs> They're all over the place. And I freaked out internally. This was what I was dreading most. If you don't like bugs, this is a nightmare situation. I was trying so hard to not look freaked out or disgusted or to make a eh! sound. But at that same time, I saw this strong, intelligent woman in front of me, so thrilled to share her life achievements with me. She proudly showed us the certificate and a photo of her with the Australian High Commission, her face beaming, full of joy and hope. And right there, I was reminded of a verse in 1 Samuel. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials and gives them seats of honor. I saw that truth right in front of me. God was at work here, doing what was beyond imaginable. It was so amazing to see. He was bringing goodness and joy to people in the midst of of really hard circumstances. And seeing this great joy in great poverty helped me really see myself in a different way. Experiencing that abundant joy, the dancing, the singing, the community at Javan Nagar helped me recognize my own poverty. They were rich in areas that I'm poor. I wasn't going to visit the poor. I'm poor too, 
And I have a lot to learn from my brothers and sisters there. But, you know, there is a tension of thinking of myself as poor. As someone who lives in New York City, this can feel crazy, ungrateful. I have so many opportunities. I have so many privileges that so many people don't have. And I notice we're all very quick to play down the areas where we're lacking. I say things like, I don't have anything to complain about. Or, well, compared to what's going on in the world, da 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 And yeah, I, those are true things. But when I deny or play down my areas of poverty, I'm missing out on something that's very, very special. I try to hide it. I deny it. I try, I try to fix it. I'm a big fixer. It's a big one for me. I am one of those people who read articles like five ways to be more productive before 8 a.m. <coughs> or eight daily habits that will radically improve your life. Or for the past year and a half, I've been doing 10 best strength training moves for women over 50. <coughs> I tried to read an article on how to get rid of a cough too. It didn't work. Uh, <coughs> But I'm still going to keep reading those articles. There's some really helpful things in there. But there are some areas I'm not really going to be able to fix. And when I'm faced with those areas, I can be really mean and harsh to myself. I beat myself up for not doing better or more or whatever it is I think should be doing. Recently, I was in that mindset, and I was giving myself a really harsh talking to about how I was a loser and how I needed to shape up. And in my mind, I heard a thought that sounded like something God might say. In a very gentle and calm tone, I heard, Sarah, you're human. You know, that was actually a surprising thought to me. I know I'm human, but honestly, I expect better of that. I expect so much more of that for myself. I want perfection. I want everyone I meet to like me. I want everyone to, to respect me. I want to come across as if I'm perfect. But trying to cover up my poverty can get in the way of experiencing the really good stuff from God. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, we read, The Lord said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So, I have an idea. Maybe our first practical suggestion. Something you could try this week. If you recognize you're being harsh with yourself, take a pause and try saying, I'm human. Thank you, God, that in my weakness, you're strong. Try that this week, maybe over and over, and see if it leads you to something better. I've learned that embracing my humanity and getting real with my weakness, I open the door to wonderful, uplifting, joyful God experience. 
And then once we're ready to admit, okay, I'm human, it's easier to admit we're poor. I love this quote from the Jesuit priest, Henry Nowen. How can we embrace poverty as a way to God when everyone around us wants us to become rich? Poverty has many forms. We have to ask ourselves, what is my poverty? Is it lack of money, lack of emotional stability, lack of a loving partner, lack of security, lack of safety, lack of self-confidence? Each human being has a place of poverty. That's the place where God wants to dwell. How blessed are the poor? This means that our blessing is hidden in our poverty. We're so inclined to cover up our poverty and ignore it that we often miss the opportunity to discover God who dwells in it. Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden. The land where our treasure is hidden. Treasure in our poverty. That's what I see in Javan Nagar. That's what I want to see in my life. That's what it means to be truly blessed. So I wanted to throw out some ideas that maybe you could try this week to help you experience this kind of blessing in your life. The first thing, after you've decided, okay, I give up, I admit it, I am human. Next, it's what is my poverty? If it comes to mind right now, maybe right now, maybe you'd want to jot it down. Is it lack of security, lack of safety, lack of a loving partner? What is your poverty? And then the second one is really important if you do the first one. And it's ask God to help you find your blessing in the midst of your poverty. We're not looking for our poverty so we can wallow around and despair in it and just feel awful. Who wants to do that? That's not the point. We're looking for it because joy is there, because God is there. God's greatest blessing always rests in God himself. When we have that, we're hashtag blessed. A wise person once said, Happiness depends on happenings. Joy depends on Jesus. So another idea maybe you'd like to try. Try doing something outside of your comfort zone. We tend to stay where we feel cozy and where we don't have to face our poverty. Doing something a little uncomfortable can help us face that area we're lacking the place where God's there and is really, really strong. What would be some ways that you could do that this week? You know, you don't have to think of some really huge way, like having buckets of cockroaches poured over you or something like that. Maybe it's a small step. But it, I think it begins with this idea of, you know what? A cozy life shrinks down and down and down. And when we're out of our comfort zone, that's how our life expands. So look for some ways this week to take little steps outside of your comfort zone 
Maybe it's going out to lunch with someone or going back for prayer or talking to someone or being involved in something that you wouldn't really. Maybe you go to a midweek group and you really don't share a lot about what's going on inside. That could be a step for you. Get out of your comfort zone and see if your life expands. Lastly, in, in, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be starting our countdown to Easter, which we call 40 Days of Faith. And so it's good to probably start now to think about how you want to engage with that time, what you really want to get out of it. It's been a really incredible time for people who've decided, I'm going to set this time apart and do some really intentional things to connect with God and see what happens. So here's some things that you might want to start considering. One would be, how do, what do, you, want, how do you want Jesus to expand your life? What would you like him to do for you? Think of five people in your life that you think, you know what? I'd like to see great, good God things happen. I'm going to pray for them. And then the third one is kind of related to what we're talking about today. Consider fasting during the 40 days. Maybe you'd like to intentionally become poor in some area as a way of experiencing God's strength in your weakness. Maybe you'd give up meat. Maybe you'd give up taxis. Maybe you would give up movies, coffee, wine. But it's a great experiment to put this verse to the test. God is strong in our weakness. So those are some ideas that I have for you to try and see if you experience more of God's blessing in your life. And I want to like to close by praying for us. God, thank you that you are here with us as we gather together. I pray that you would give us courage to embrace our humanity and to also uh, embrace the places in our lives where we're poor. Trusting that you will be there, bringing the kingdom of heaven right there in the midst of it, your hope and your goodness and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.